Hello. How are you all today? Pretty good? Good. In, in just uh, two more verses of our hymn, I'm going to have everybody stand up, and I'm going to read a gospel lesson that begins with a man asking Jesus, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? Can you please tell me how I get to heaven? I believe in Jesus. That's exactly right. And Jesus, because Jesus is the one who came to die on the cross, and that took away all of the guilt of our sins. You and I are sinful people, but Jesus died in our place so that now you and I, by putting our faith in Jesus, cover ourselves with Jesus, and God loves us because we love him, and we love him because God loves us, and we have this wonderful relationship with our Father in heaven, all because we trust in Jesus. But remember that, will you? We go to heaven because we trust in Jesus, because Jesus died for our sins. Can you fold your hands? And we will pray about that, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us our faith in Jesus. And if somebody asks us, how do I get to heaven? Help us jump right in and say, because we believe in Jesus who died for our sins. Because that's the message that changes hearts and gives each one of us eternal life. Amen. If you are able, please rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel for this fifth Sunday of Pentecost is recorded in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these, or which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. What do I have to do to get to heaven? 
That question should stir up an emotional response in us. I'm so glad you asked. Let me share my faith with you. And, and, and the, the question should really make us uh, remember that in our culture, and it is not always a good idea to superimpose our culture onto the Word of God, but in our culture, we have a growing sense of urgency and immediacy about spiritual things. We would be delighted if somebody asked us how to get to heaven. After all, there's a new spiritual store in town that's going to be dedicated to leading people ultimately away from Christ and therefore away from heaven. And my guess is it'll probably end up failing because of lack of interest. But one thing that freedom of religion means is that while we would expect that nobody would picket our church because they object to the message of Christ, that freedom of religion in our country also means that they have a right even to have a store that teaches a false religion and that denies Christ. Well, when Jesus got asked this question, he sent, him, he sent the man right into the law of Moses. And keep in mind, that's what this guy did for a living. He was an expert in the law, a teacher of the law. We used to translate this scribe. This was a man who knew the law very well. And, uh, and, and but then again, you wouldn't necessarily expect that even a man who professionally counted the number of letters in each word of each verse, counted the numbers of words in each book of the Bible and so forth, that he, an expert in these things, would necessarily grasp what is really alien to man's way of thinking, which is the gospel. Because we like law. Mankind is obsessed with the idea of justice, of what is legal, of, of, of responsibility, retribution, and more and more, even name-calling. This is only magnified a little bit today, but who in all of the news, weather, sports, and entertainment has not recently become guilty of having the attitude, if you disagree with me, then you're a bad person usually stated in much stronger terms than that. As recently as six, seven years ago, we still lived in a country that at least tried to say, let's embrace our differences. But we no longer say that. We no longer love our neighbor. We no longer even tolerate our neighbor. Well... This Jewish legal expert went right to the heart of the law. He, he knew the law, and he said, well, the, what the law says is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we still use that as the division between what we call the two tables of the law. The first few commandments are about loving God, and the rest of the commandments are all about loving your neighbor. And then Jesus slaps us in the face with the next thing that he says. And I mean, he really hauls off and slaps us by shocking us and saying, do that. Do it perfectly in your heart as well as in your actions. And you will go to heaven. 
we all understand. I, I don't. I can't. This is, this is where the sinful human nature has infected all of us. We have sins of, of thought and of word and of action and sins of omission. And there are temptations in our lives that we invite in. We fling open the doors and the windows of our minds and of our hearts. And we even pay big money for, 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 for terrible things to be shrieked at us by sinful human beings. And we just want to embrace their message. Because it's, and it's hard not to do, because whether you're young or old, whether you remember Watergate or whether that's as long ago for you as the Civil War or the Battle of Agincourt, we like to be like people we like. Let me say that again. We like to be like people we like. And that makes us drop the filter of the God-given conscience that tells us that's wrong. That slap in the face of Jesus' words, that was done to show that legal expert that he was wrong if he thought that he could do something himself to get into heaven. But he still doesn't quite get it. He still asks, well, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Let's qualify this thing about loving my neighbor as myself. Remember that this was a guy who was a Jewish legal expert, a man who knew his Bible, who did come to Jesus for this question, and Jesus had directed him away from himself, saying, you can't do it yourself. And the guy still doesn't quite get it. But Jesus wants him to know that he was right, at least in coming to him for this. Remember, especially you who might be tempted to... Go looking for new religious points of view. Remember that your Savior tells you, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus tells him a parable to at least teach him who his neighbor is, to show him how wrong he is, thinking that he can at least show love to his neighbor and still get into heaven. This, this parable has familiar details. There's a guy beaten up on his way down to Jericho, and a, a priest passes by on the other side, and a Levite sees him. Remember that the Levites are the family that the priests come from, and very probably this expert in the law, this scribe, was a Levite, and he gets it wrong too. He passes him by on the other side. And sure, the guy in the, in the, in the parable is, is beaten up, uh, so that he's, his, he's, he's in danger of dying. He was bleeding to death. And sure, the Old Testament law said that you can't come into contact with somebody and, and, and with, with their blood or you will be guilty of sinning. And, I'm, and a priest would know that. Certainly a Levite would know that and understand, especially a scribe, the guy who was into all of the details of the Mosaic law. And yet being dripped on by a bleeding man while you're trying to save his life just meant that you had to make a sacrifice. This wasn't a life or death situation for the guy who gets a little blood in his hands. 
And, and, and you just meant that he had to go and make the, the simplest sacrifice, the cheapest one if you couldn't afford uh, the big expensive one. Just, and, and Leviticus 5.10 says, he will be forgiven. There wasn't even any time out if you had a, 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 a blood interaction like this. Didn't even have to go outside the community or outside to spend the night outside the house for the night. You just had paid the cheap fine and that was it. And who couldn't afford a penny's worth of doves or pigeons and a pinch of salt? We find all sorts of reasons not to love. I sometimes wonder if we confessional Lutheran Christians even sometimes think that there is a, a smile fellowship, a handshake fellowship, an inviting your neighbors over for a brats and blats fellowship that we just can't violate. But how else will we even get to know the people who live next door if we never interact with them? And after all, our neighbors aren't just the people who share lot lines with us and hallways. I would, I would prefer to keep my political views out of my Lord's pulpit. And I'm positive that all of you would prefer if I kept my political views out of our Lord's pulpit. But uh, to make a point, I'm going to admit something. And I, if you disagree with my point of view, I absolutely respect that. And I will not say bad things about you, and I would hope that you would do me the favor in return. Um, but I just want to ask you to just hear me out for the sake of the point. And this is the point. I, I will, will just admit that I am entirely opposed to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this is not only because my best friend's wife is Ukrainian and her family has been displaced by this and her brother is now chosen to be in harm's way and there is just a mess in their hometown and in their family that's been transmitted to their family now over in Cedarburg, Wisconsin because of all of this but also because the the Russian national citizens that I have heard from and some of which I know personally are by and large in fact, entirely of the people I've actually heard from are opposed to this war and also to an individual would prefer to be rid of their current president, who in their words is a tyrant and a maniac and a murderer. And, but, but that president is also my neighbor. And while I might balk if he happened to come here and offer to shake my hand, I... Uh, I, I would hope that even such a man would be treated as Christ would have us treat the world. Not supporting his whims or giving in to his political agenda, but supplying his spiritual needs as he needs them. And if that opportunity might come, I pray that I or you or any one of our fellowship would not look the other way. For remember that even the murderous Saul of Tarsus, murderous Saul of Tarsus, was once treated like a neighbor by an admittedly nervous, frightened, balking Christian 
to whom we all owe a debt of thanks and honor. Now, as Jesus wants to make the point about who really is a neighbor, he brings in a Samaritan to the text. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. There is an old history that goes back into the, in, into the exile and what happened while the Jews were away from, from Israel and so forth. But there really was a, a fellowship between Samaritans and Jews. They did not worship together, and that was the correct thing to do. They did not pray together. That was absolutely the correct way to handle their difference. They did not aid one another in their work for God's kingdom, and that was the right way to handle that. And Jesus even points out those differences when he encountered an entire village of Samaritans in John chapter 4. But here, our Savior uses a Samaritan to show us that being a good neighbor isn't always about having all of your theology and your doctrine exactly right. It's about helping, about valuing the well-being of other people. And why do we do that? You might think of lots of reasons. I'm only going to offer three. First of all, it's God's will. And whether I understand the will of God perfectly or not, it is his will. And that demands instantaneous, energetic, strenuous, sacrificial obedience on our part, on my part. Second, we show our faith to God and our adoration of his Son, our Savior Jesus, by loving one another. The Apostle John wrote three letters. This is apart from the Gospel and apart from Revelation. There are three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Some of them are, short, are so short that you blink and you miss them as you're flipping through your pages. And, but if you go to Revelation and go back just maybe two pages through Jude, and then, then you're in 2nd, 3rd John, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you will see that those three letters are really essays about the doctrine of church fellowship. Um, showing not only what our basis for that fellowship is, but what are the tests for knowing if I've got my teaching, the biblical teaching and doctrine right, and whether somebody else does, what's our basis for fellowship, how not to do it, Second John, how to do it, Third John, and so forth. But even through those letters, which are, in fact, the fellowship goes through every New Testament book, all of them, but especially in those three, but there's that underlying current that John gives, which is still love one another. We love because he first loved us. How do we show our love for our neighbor? Third, we win souls for Christ by talking to people, by interacting with people, by pointing out when, when we've done wrong and apologizing for it, and by being generous and forgiving when they do the same. This account in Luke 10, the, the, the Good Samaritan, may not seem to all like a perfect package of, of, of reminding us exactly how we get to heaven, because it seems like Jesus gets this question, how do I get there, and then sidetrack with a guy trying to justify his still wrong attitude about it. But Jesus gets asked a question, points the man away from himself, and then points the man away from himself again in order to point him to God. The parable illustrates that our neighbor is everybody. 
not just your next-door neighbors, but people around the world, and maybe your own heroes on YouTube or, or whatever it might happen to be. But those people probably have weird things going on in their lives. And they might seem to you to be sometimes like this multi-tentacled monster, like, wow, where do I even start? Well, start at the very core of things. Because if your neighbor doesn't believe in Christ, ignore those other things, all of those tentacles of weirdness that you see in that person, because his house is on fire. Treat him theologically as if the tornado is coming right through his living room window, aimed right for his nose. He needs to know about his Savior Jesus right now. What do I have to do to get to heaven? Tell him. Tell him about his Savior Jesus. Tell him about the peace of God that transcends our understanding and guides our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And please stand. As we confess our Christian faith together with the Apostles' Creed, keep in mind that this creed is one of the ideal answers when someone asks you about your faith. For our stewardship message today, let us pray. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Amen.